Are you ready for some real football? I love the NFL. I wore their shield on my chest. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, the game day recap edition. This is where 10-year NFL starter and power athlete founder John Wellborn and legendary NFL sprint coach Derek Hansen dive into this week's highlights, hard hits, and most importantly, analyze the injuries that continue to plague the sport of football. It's like sitting around talking shit about the game with your buddies, only your buddies have way more credibility. Now here's John, Derek, and the crew. Nation, what's going on? We got an exciting episode for you. We're taking some conversations inside the game, inside the NFL. We have speed coach Derek Hansen here joining us to drop some expertise. And we have Luke and then Mr. NFL 10-year NFL veteran John Ooh. Wellborn. Yeah, has been just talking about stuff in the past. And always was. Always was, never will be. <laughs> and Tech's here, so we're we're gonna dive into an exciting show. We've been catching up with Derek. It's almost halfway it's more than halfway through the NFL season. And you've expressed to us some different observations and thing you've seen in terms to common injuries throughout the league, some notes and performance we have the famous Daniel Jones sniper. Uh, there's some, a lot of memes going around, some wrestlers coming out of nowhere to trip this dude up, but some fun things like that that you reached out to us and wanted to dive in to both the injury side of things and performance in this weird COVID-19 to th- uh, 2020, I was going to say 2020 <laughs> season. Can we just start talking about 2021? Not yet. That <laughs> comes Super Bowl time. We'll, uh-huh. we'll get Derek back on for playoffs. Mm-hmm. But oh, man. So... Man, they're, they're, I know we are have a whole half season to get into, but what are some immediate observations that you've seen, just common themes show up throughout the games this season? Um, obviously, it's, it's the injury piece, right? And how many injuries, the mass of injuries. I think uh, now it's 30 ACLs um, without a preseason. Um, I think there's 13 Achilles, 10 in injuries, lots of ankle injuries, lots of hamstrings, probably more in a short period, shorter period of time than we've seen before. And then on top of that, you have these bizarre sort of COVID impacts of like players not being able to play in quarantine and all that. So rosters are decimated. And some of the numbers that we looked at in terms of how many of these players uh, aren't playing and how much money is left, I guess I've been saying money left in the training room. Um, is, is pretty interesting in how it correlates to um, how, how teams are doing. I guess their standings, right? And I think the two examples that I, we brought up was um, the 49ers, uh, which is one of the, has some of the most, most games lost to injury. And also now uh, they, there was a report that came out about how much money the Denver Broncos are, are paying to people who are injured. Um, so that would, that, those, those are the first things that came out. And then obviously there's a lot of individual stories in there as well. Yeah, no, the, uh, it, like, I, I always kind of look at this from like, um, almost like the side of winning and that, you know, what does it take for a team to win? I mean, we watched last night with the Jets and, uh, the Patriots 
And like uh, the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, is Cam Newton really the guy that you know fits within the Patriots system? Can he win some games? I mean, he has a pedigree. He was a you know super or um, uh, NFL MVP. You know, played, played in the Super yeah, Bowl. played in the Super Bowl, and has been a marquee player for ten years. And I'm out there watching him, and the hard part is, is the Jets are awful. I mean, like they're what zero and nine. Uh, it's the first time that they've ever been 0-9. Uh, I mean, not that the Jets have ever been a legitimate powerhouse, um, not for at least for a while. Um, and Cam Newton's out there doing some things, and they're like, oh, look at him. I'm like, ah, like this pass rush isn't good. And then they started kind of going through and going through the players and like, you know, these aren't the marquee players. And, uh, you know, Cam Newton's had to, I mean, he barely wins that game. Like he has yeah. to come back. So it's not like they went out and, you know, like the Patriots of old where all of a sudden they see an 0-8, uh, you know, New York Jets and they go hang them for 70 points. So in, in uh, line with that, in the Patriots, there are players on the defensive side of the ball. One Hightower, their best defensive captain, he chose and opted to sit out for the season. Yeah, so that's already put them in a position of, well, and, and then they got to bring in, I mean, Tom Brady's been their rock for all these years. And now all of a sudden they got to bring in a new guy who's got this tumultuous past. Um, nobody tried to sign him. They signed him for, I mean, I think it was like a million bucks, which I know sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme is, is, He's betting is, on is, himself. is, is chump I'm change. Mad at that. You know, so he, he comes in when nobody else was giving him a shot and uh, has come in and just been really lackluster. I mean, even against a team that was 0-9, I mean, it's 0-9, it was still lackluster. Um, the... Uh, and when I say like on the side of winning, I'm always looking at like, you know, is this a player that can be a difference maker? Can this player come in and be the guy like as an offensive lineman, if this guy comes in and all of a sudden he's driving a dude off the ball and now all of a sudden the runs like we saw, we were talking on our last podcast where, um, uh, man, who was that big running back we were watching that was uh, moving fast, but he looked like he was moving slow real patiently. Uh, was that Cook? Oh, Cook, yeah. yeah. And like, but it, as I went back and watched that man, like the offensive line was getting some really good movement. And, uh, you know, you start thinking like, hey, that guy's doing well. What's the difference maker? You saw, you know, Dak Prescott get hurt. And uh, as you guys know, I have my reservations about the Cowboys from playing them and beating up on them for years. But he was uh, he was a guy that was a difference maker for them and made them, you know, like a decent contender. And all of a sudden you remove that one player. And I mean, the Cowboys are in a downward spiral for that. So uh, like thinking about this and like looking at and being like, okay, difference makers. And we see these statistics where, you know, the Niners have like $80 million in cap tied up with injured players. And uh, the Denver Broncos have like 45 million just in this year tied up on guys on IR. Like those are their difference makers. Those are their stars. They're the marquee players, the people that they lean on. And all of a sudden those guys aren't part of the game. And you're working with, you know, twos and threes and fours and guys that, you know, maybe you're going to have a chance down the line and you can always band-aid with a few of those guys. But when all of a sudden it's everybody, like the quality at which it comes down. And, um, and then you have teams that aren't, don't get bit by the injury bug. Like we were talking about like the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And all of a sudden you're looking at this and being like, oh man, this is going to make the playoffs really exciting because we're going to see those teams, you know, maybe in the AFC championship. But, you know, who's the team that's going to represent the NFC? And, um, I mean, the, you know, going into the season, the Niners were, you know, big-time contenders. So it's, uh, it's, it's really it's, uh, what I would call it's par for the course for 2020. Yeah, and, and if you start looking at some of these organizations, like, you know, pro sport, there's going to be pointing of fingers, and there's going to be like, okay, who's the scapegoat, which we have talked about before. Um, in these cases, who do you guys think – is responsible. Is it just sort of, is it going to be one of those years, COVID years where it's like, ah, it was just a, an off year for everyone. So everybody keeps their job. Do you think that's going to happen? Or 
people going to be held accountable? Heads got to roll, don't they? Yeah. I, there's an asterisk uh, for some of these folks? Yeah, I think what happens is, is like uh, the stink of losing. Sometimes they, they just get to get cut out. And uh, like, as I look at this, um, what I really, I uh, like, to me, this is a problem that we saw coming six, eight, nine months ago when all of a sudden the players who should have been training and doing everything that they were were on home, you know, house arrest. I mean, um, not house arrest, uh, lockdown. So they couldn't train in facilities. They probably weren't training in other places that they should have been. And that level of preparation that takes you the whole off season to not only heal up from injuries, but also get in that preparation phase, you know, periodize from like, you know, hey, I'm going to build some glycolytic engine early in the year and lactic threshold, you know, type stuff. And then I'm going to progress into strength and speed and start getting ready for all this. And like that periodization just kind of got cut off at the knees and didn't happen. And, um, you know, how many guys were, you know, on lockdown and didn't have weights or didn't have access and, you know, with their families. And it was just kind of uh, people were unprepared, like how many people have a dope gym and people to come train with them. I just think that there was um, this was an issue. Like when we saw this whole thing going down, if we'd done this podcast, we're going to be like, oh, God, like the injury bug is going to come for a lot of people just because we're pulling them out of the system. Um, I wonder that uh, when we look back at this, if the teams that avoided the injury bug were the ones that put more, um, I guess, solutions in place during this time. Like, uh, you know, were the you know Kansas City Chiefs basically buying equipment and shipping it to their players and like Zooming and, like, you know, like it, I, I wonder what that level of access and we won't really know until after the fact. But I think the really smart teams were the ones that just didn't rely upon the player or the individual to figure out a solution. I think they were probably very more proactive in doing that. And, um, you know, the level of preparation has to be there. This isn't just something that you show up three weeks before training camp and get in shape. I mean, we would start training uh, right around Valentine's Day and we would grind all the way, you know, to the third week of July when we went to training camp. And there was, you know, like uh, planned rest days and this is what you had to do. And it was very, very segmented. And I think by cutting that out, all of a sudden now we're in this deficit. And, uh, you know, is it just luck? But I think it really comes back to when we when we look at 2020 in the in the hindsight for the NFL, the teams that manage that situation, the better, I think, are going to be the most successful ones. At, at the moment now, you're allowed eight padded practice. So full contact practices per season. So then it's on the is, coaching is that staff. the season, including the tra- that's not including training camp, though. No, 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 no. During the sixteen game, like going live season. So how was practice back in the day, midweek? Uh, was it all walkthroughs? Once you no, finally made the team? No. So when I, uh, I'll, I'll date myself with this one. Uh, my first year in Philly, we went um, forty-two days in a row. We had six weeks, and where we went, pads, pads one day and then you went pads in the morning and then you had a special teams practice in the afternoon so if you weren't on special teams you didn't have to show up so we go pads 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 off and we ran that rotation for six weeks and then we went into training camp or we, we went into the regular season you'd go uh walk through on monday tuesday day off pads on wednesday pads on thursday shells on friday walk through saturday play sunday we ran that for better part of like two years and then when i went to dick for meal uh, all of a sudden we were out there for what we call the baton death marches where they were three hour practices in pads and we did those two a days and uh, to the point where like we had people fucking quit just be like I ain't doing it I mean we, like all the time I remember in training camp people would be like they can't fire us all and be like shut up <laughs> so uh, I, I, I like and were, then, were there a lot of injuries I'm curious like uh, no uh, not as like not 
at all what you've seen today. And I yeah. think, and, and I think the habit, the, is that like the hurt versus injured days? Well, like people probably hurt. Well, but, hurt. but everybody was playing at like this kind of like a, a bruised and beat deficit. So like you played at this like fast 80% and everybody kind of was at the same level because everybody was kind of beat up. Like uh, nobody feels good in the NFL. Everybody's hurt. Like whether, <laughs> like how you manage it. And I think everybody was like in the same level. And then the problem is, is you get out there and like, you know, you hit, you do whatever, everybody freshens up and um, everybody goes out and, you know, you have an adrenaline and all these other key factors to go bang it on Sunday. But everybody's playing at the same. Now you have a situation where dudes are so fresh and not beat up and not like don't have that edge off that that's where I think the injuries are coming from. Um, Very good point. I remember when, uh, when the new CBA came out and I had just retired, I remember Tony Gonzalez called me and he's like, dude, you got to come back. We could play for another 20 years on this, on this deal. And he's like, uh, he goes, man, he goes, we hit more in training camp for Dick Vermeil than a 10 year, uh, like a, a kid, 10 years in the NFL going forward from, from this day will ever see in his life, including the games. And I was like, no fucking way. And he's like, dude, he's like, dude, we could play forever. He's like, if we had started in this, we'd, we'd be like 40 years old still out here playing. And Tony, you know, Tony ran it into his thir- late 30s. So um, I, like, I don't know. I mean, the NFL had a serious issue. They, um, they had the, you know, head injuries, concussions. I mean, that shit really was spinning out. And instead of being like, hey, let's figure out really why this is happening uh, could it be the fact that the, you know, the helmet concussions are getting crystallized if, you know, like every time I got on, they don't probably don't do it anymore, but every time I got on a plane for, to fly home, they always handed you two beers and guys bring crown Royal. And, you know, I didn't necessarily drink cause I had to drive home. Other dudes had their wives come pick them up, but you know, you take a bunch of traumatic brain injuries and next thing you drink a bunch of booze and it crystallizes and becomes more of an issue. And then they come around and hand you out painkillers and little white boxes. And we would kind of shake them and like, like rattlesnakes, like the rattlers. And I, I, I think the, uh, the liberal prescription of painkillers, I think, I, I think all of these are better factors in terms of traumatic brain injury than the hit. I mean, the hits are obviously the, you know, the ingredients, but all that stuff is the stuff that, you know, you put it in the oven and that's what cooks it. So instead of coming out and being like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have been giving these guys alcohol and shouldn't probably be pumping them full of painkillers and all the other stuff. Uh, let's look at this thing more intelligently. But what they did is they just demonized the hitting because it was easier to do that than actually come out and say, yeah, we shouldn't have been giving these guys this and this and this because that opens them up for liability. So I think by effectively neutering the game and you know trying to reduce all this, all they're doing is creating, a, um, I think, a bigger pool for injuries that we're going to see. So, so the, the, the fact that you had more demanding practices kind of muted that intensity, which kept the impacts and the injuries less severe, would yeah. you say? Is that, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's an interesting concept. Well, and, and especially for offensive linemen, the only way you learn your job is actually live bullets in pads, like in practice. That's where you get, pre- like uh, when I watched the first few games when we started talking about this, I was amazed to see like how, uh, how straight-legged and how high guys were playing. Like they were like looking around and uh, I remember thinking, like, man, these dudes are, are playing really high, like real straight-legged, a lot of bending at the waist, which just happens early in training camp because you just haven't been doing it. And then as this, as uh, training camp and the season goes on, all of a sudden you see, like, pad level come down. People are flat back coming off the ball. They're not looking around. And people are, like, actually playing with a pad level, which is conducive towards success. And 
when I watch the games, dudes still look like they're playing high, not bending their knees and like not doing all those little things. And you learn that stuff in like live bullets in practice. It's tough to learn that pad level and that level of conditioning in uh, just walkthroughs. I mean, you can take veteran guys like you could take a guy like Will Shields and just have him do walkthroughs and he's not going to have any issues. But like young guys, especially dudes who might not have had the preseason and all of a sudden injury and they get thrust into this job and don't have the experience. So I think that's I, I would blame it on that. Not not that the NFL is going to go back and, you know, go old school dick for meal and strap it up for three hours, you know, every yeah. you know, every day. But I, I, I think by protecting the players, they're putting them at more of a risk. Now, um, it's interesting because now does that put the onus on the players to make sure that they get that preparation and that fitness because of the fact that, you know, they're going to have higher velocities and, and tech sent me that interview with Russell Wilson about him and how much he puts into his preparation in the off season and the staff he has around him. Is that something that we should encourage uh, as, I mean, if you're a player agent, I would think that would be one of the things that you would be talking about if the team can't provide that. Yeah. I, I like the stuff with Russell Wilson is, um, obviously it's pretty over the top and you probably need a certain financial investment, uh, in you as a player to feel like guys can do that. But I mean, even, uh, you know, even if it was a quarter of that and a dude was dropping 250,000, but he was making, you know, a few million dollars, it feels like money well spent. Uh, you know, like it's, it's, uh, I think it's always been put on the, you know, the shoulders of the players to prepare themselves. Like if you, uh, like regardless of whether or not you train there in the off season or you train somewhere else, when you come back, there is a, a very real set of not only tests, but you, you know, everybody has to make the team. I mean, the only guy who probably didn't really have to worry about making the team was probably Patrick Mahomes. You know, he signs a big contract. Like I got this, but like I never went into a situation into training camp where I was like, oh, I know I got this. Like I always went in thinking like I had to go in and earn a job, even though I had a job and I had to, you know, and I always remember thinking like, even with working with young players, they'd ask me, I'd always, I'd always help them. And some of the guys like, why you help these guys? I'm like, well, shit, if they can take my job or if they don't play well, that doesn't push me to play hard. And so I always liked feeling like somebody was behind me, pushing me, playing well to kind of push me to kind of you know, bust my ass a little bit harder. And, um, you know, sometimes you need that little bit of motivation. So I think that as a current NFL player, that if you're not looking at how do I not only make sure I'm the healthiest individual, how do I make sure that not only I'm the strongest, fittest, uh, most prepared individual that's able to move well through space. I mean, if I'm not looking at different ways outside the conventional to make that happen, I think you're leaving uh, performance and money on the table. I mean, and it can be, I mean, uh, there are so many different avenues that you can research and I know people go hard in certain directions, but there's just some very, and I'm sure Derek can get into this. I mean, you know, just the conversation of building an aerobic base is the ability to be able to recover in between plays. I mean, when was the last time that got pushed out? So, I mean, there's just some really basic stuff. I mean, how many guys are, um, having custom meal delivery stuff. So I had to find a chef and they would cook and we would do meals just so that I came home and they're like, I didn't have to go out to the store and kick a uh, cook. I could just grab something. I mean, how many teams are setting that up? Um, at the Eagles, it was pretty dope. We had this kick-ass kitchen and this amazing chef. And he was like, hey, if you want to bring me anything in the morning, I'll cook it and you can take it home. So I'd bring him like a turkey. I'd bring him prime rib. And the dude had these amazing smokers because Andy Reid likes to eat. So mm -hmm. this dude was a good cook. And, um, but yeah, I, I, like, I don't know, like 
it just it feels like we shouldn't be having this conversation in 2020 but maybe guys just weren't prepared for this covid thing and you know didn't train didn't do what they needed to do and uh, maybe now we're seeing that kind of deficit yeah and i i had these conversations with somebody um at the nfl level about you know because the cba was coming up to be renewed and you know how is off-season training going to look because there are a lot of strength coaches who thought that there wasn't uh, still wasn't enough emphasis on strength and conditioning through that period. I think they had uh, two weeks plus three weeks, like two weeks with just strength and conditioning and then three weeks with strength and conditioning and position coaches. And then it was just practice OTAs. Um, so there was some discussion around um, how could we even, like, I think I even proposed to him. I said, maybe they should have two to three weeks before training camp when they're just with strength and conditioning. So there is a bit of a blend in, um, and making sure because what did they have five, six weeks between the end of OTAs and training camp? And a lot of guys just went to Florida and, you know, were on their yachts or whatever. Um, and then you come back into training camp and boom, hamstring, ACL, ham, you know. So this is just like everything. I think COVID has accelerated a lot of things, whether it's meal delivery, whether it's Zoom conversations. Um, but in this case, it's like it's punching them in, in the mouth right now. So. Well, you, you always have, but like after the last OTAs, you always had like five or six weeks off. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that was pretty consistent. And I remember like the, the one, and this was kind of the last hurrah every year was always 4th of July. Cause we always had, we always went to training camp the third week of July. So like 4th mm-hmm. of July was like, we're going to go hard and that'll be the last one. And then we got to, you know, buckle it down and get ready. We got a couple weeks till training camp. But I think what happened, uh, you know, the OTAs and all, I mean, it, like, I just think people are at a deficit. And then the problem is, you know, these teams go in and, you know, they're lay out their plan. Everything's ready to go. They're probably trying to, you know, make changes, make sure people aren't getting infected. And then it's, you know, putting these guys into the, into the meat grinder, especially without a preseason. I mean, not that preseason is that valuable, but it still gives people time to, to develop some young players and get some reps. I mean, we'd go out there as ones and play the first series in like, or maybe the first two or three series in uh, the first game. And then you kind of, you know, try trade it back down. Um, but like there is a value in that you go on the road, you get to sleep somewhere else, you get to hit, you know, go and play against somebody else. And I think that there's all this is in the preparation and uh, I'll be really interested to see, uh, you know, the injury kind of numbers when they look at like the percentage of injuries, how, you know, what the injuries were when they start laying it down over the course of like the five or 10 or last years, uh, to five, I mean, five to 10 uh, of, you know, in years previous, how far this compares and then what it looks like going forward. If all of a sudden we look and we're like, hey, you know, there's X amount of injuries and now it's tripled in 20, but then it goes back down then we'll know that it was probably something that had to do with the, you know, the COVID environment and the way they handled it. I've got some quick stats. This is only for 2020 season through week nine here, but 345 total players on the IR. So done for, for the year here, 14 of those are Achilles related. 71 are knee related. It didn't, what I found didn't break down in specific injury, but 71 knees and then 22 ankles and our previous discussion, a lot of lower leg injuries, a little team breakdown. Uh, I found San Francisco had the most with 19, San Francisco and Denver, both at 19, according to lists. New England was third with 18. And then uh, a lot of teams with seven or eight is, is about the, the average in that Pittsburgh and KC uh, were just right at the top of that. So 
the players they have opportunity practicing their plays system style all then are now continuing continuing to stay healthy and getting out there uh so in 2019 acl tears declined from 57 to 47 while yep. AC, uh, mcl tears dropped from 132 to 109 uh, it said remaining, um, including, let's see, soft tissue lower injuries came with 580 and 610. And it looked like 2019 had less injuries, even though they had 485 concussion evaluations performed during the game. So it looks like actually 2019 was down. I'd be interested to see. I'm, I, I don't think I, we could pull it without a little bit of, you know, Time, crunching but. numbers. But to be able to say, hey, what, what it, you know, how many people were on IR? What were the injuries looking like in 2019? I guarantee uh, it's going to be dramatically higher. Yeah, that, 2019 was definitely an anomaly um, because all the years before that, at least from an ACL point of view, I think it was, yeah, like 50s and 60s for at least for at least five years there, five or six years. So, um, yeah. And, and then I, it makes me think, cause I, you know, I, I have a little bit of inside information here and there, but if you have a Russell Wilson, who's getting it done on his own and having his own, you know, team, does that influence the players on that team? Such as like Tom Brady, Michael Jordan had guys over to his place to play and work out with him. I know Patrick Mahomes guy, moved to Kansas city. He was in Texas, moved to Kansas city. And he's now training more of the guys in the off season when the team's not training them. So is that a huge influence to have that, that marquee player who has sort of the private group around him, making him a better player? Is that, does that yeah. trickle down? I, uh, I, I don't know how that could hurt you. I mean, I, uh, I can't for, you know, tell you what percentage that increases, but, uh, the teams that I've known that were really good tended to have like a pretty good culture in that way. Um, I never trained with, uh, in an off season with an NFL team. So they never give me an off season workout deal. But when I trained down in Tampa with Raphael, we had probably nine to 10 NFL players that consistently showed up every single day. It was Ed Muitalo, Jeff Mitchell, myself, John McLaughlin, and there was about four or five others. And we had uh, like the energy and the pushing and the training, uh, the shit talking and like just the the energy of that environment. Other guys would come in for like a week or whatnot and they were like, shit, you guys are killing it. And I think when you put a bunch of individuals in there, uh, maybe different than the team where there's maybe some other you know politics, but for the most part, guys were banging. And um, I think if you can create that uh, almost group within a group and you can create a nucleus of individuals that are hard charging and they have, I mean, winning the Super Bowl, like I was played in three NFC championship games, never got a chance to play in the Super Bowl or win one. But I can imagine the feeling of winning the Super Bowl coming in that next year. Like we're not a flash in the pan. Like uh, this just wasn't a fluke. And so that feeling of like, hey, like, do we have the opportunity to have a dynasty? Can we be, you know, in 2020, can we be like uh, the Dallas Cowboys were in the 90s with, you know, with Aikman and, you know, Nate Newton and, and uh, you know, all those guys where, you know, Emmett Smith were like, you know, the Cowboys were just this dynasty, you know, or like the Steelers in the 70s, uh, you know, and I think every end of like I felt like that at the Eagles that we had um, this opportunity for a dynasty. And I always felt like we were a couple players away. If we could have just converted a few people, I think we could have had that dynasty. Um, but I, I like when I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, like they have the potential and the pieces, and they've kept you know their offensive line intact, and you know to, to pay Mahomes that money, and you know they got a pretty good running back, and I, I think they really have the opportunity in terms of keeping their coaches because I think that what happens too 
is really successful teams end up uh, losing all their coaches. Like the defense coordinator gets a head job, offensive coordinator gets a good job, and all of a sudden these teams just get splintered. And I think what Andy's done really well in terms of getting Spags back and and uh, just keeping some of the really good uh, coaches around is they have that opportunity. And I think those dudes sense that like we got an opportunity to have like the kind of dynasty, like we can set the records for the next one. And, um, you know, that probably means, you know, Mahomes takes a little bit of that coin and, you know, builds a training facility and, hey, this is where we're going to train in the offseason. Let's bring in the best people and let's make it kick ass. And uh, why the fuck shouldn't he? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, like, like, fuck, if I was on that team, I'd be like, sweet, what time are we showing up? Like, yeah. Ob- observation, John, when it, Derek, I, strength coach Texas did an internship down there and all these pros would come back during the summer and utilize the facility during sport team off time. And it looks like there's a transition from instead of going back to your alma mater, maybe now because COVID's limitation, you look within your local teammates, which then brings your team closer together, same page, and say things without saying things kind of deal. So maybe there is a good to come of this to let the good teams really come together on that offseason in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I always wondered. uh, Sorry, go ahead, Luke. Well, I was going to say, like, so as, like, a former NFL guy, John, what the, like, what would, I mean, Chunky Soup probably wouldn't be your guy to like, oh, but that's <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, no, it, it, it was funny because uh, the other day somebody posted a clip uh, like like this, uh, it was a great throw. Like we had a really good touchdown. I was against Tampa Bay. I remember the game. I like I, as I'm watching it, I remember the fucking play. And uh, Donovan actually like made a really nice like touch pass. And like everybody's like, man. He, and I'm like, dude. I was like, dude. The the amount of times where I was standing there and I saw this ball just like bounce at the dude's feet, and I'd think I'd be like, God damn it. And you look back and there was nobody around. And I'm like. This dude, like, uh, like these are fucking easy throws. Like, not that I can make it, but like, like it sucks to bust your ass and then to see the guy just like. Uh. Well, you're like ranked as a top tier quarterback and getting paid to do the job. Like, yeah. better be able to consistently. Yeah, and, and so I guess yeah. not to like get you down that wormhole, but okay. So what, who, what would the team captain, whoever that is, have to do to like invest in the gym? Would it have to be like the rock setup, or do you think like? You know what I mean? Like, what, well, what's the burden? Kind of like what we built up at Power Athlete. Like, when, if you had that, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and you invited the guys over to yeah. would they be happy to show Yeah. Them? Oh, fuck yeah. Well, we got a hill on the back. We got heavy things to flip. We got all the barbells in the training. Uh, the only thing we're missing, which we could have totally graded the pasture and put in like a, like a dope, like 100 meter track. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then, you know, have a guy like Derek come down and be like, man, you guys got your own like custom 100 meter track and you guys got a facility. I mean, like, realistically, uh, like, (laughs) if we cleared out the car shop and just made that, like, a facility and had, like, a 100-meter track, like, in hindsight, uh, if I wasn't such an idiot when I was playing, I would have built something like this, like, kind of like a mecca where, you know, and then just invited people and been like, hey, man, I'm in, you know, uh, Bee Cave, Texas. You guys want to come down and train, invite people to come in. And, uh, you know, and then college guys and young guys and, like, create a pretty good environment and have some really, you know, epic people come in like, hey, you know, you know, Derek's going to fly in from Vancouver and, you know, work with us. And, you know, you got a resident strength coach, a guy who's, you know, uh, intelligent enough, but ego isn't so big that he can't bring in other experts. That's a, that's a shit that always bothers me. And I think why I always really loved Raphael was Raphael was more than happy to like <coughs> train have anybody come in and there wasn't any ego. He just wanted to get, he wanted everybody to be better and whatever it looked like. And I think sometimes some of these guys guard it like a little fiefdom, but, uh, hmm. man, I, um, if Mahomes is doing that and he should, I, I don't know where he lives. <laughs> the investment, like we kind of went a little high on the investment there. Don't you think like you could probably get that done for like a, 
Like twenty grand? Could you? No, I mean like like no, I mean guys guys will train anywhere. Like I remember hearing stories of where Mike Webster trained was in the downstairs of a bar. I mean, Uh. but but I think like if you want people to consistently show up, um, and you know, and like it's always nice. Like I I I I love walking into our facility, especially when uh, the floors were cleaned yesterday, which I'm always like yes. And uh, like seeing like nice equipment, having all the dope Sornex stuff, it, it just like, it's nice. Like all the bars are good. The plates aren't like mismatched. And it's like, it just is a good environment. People come in and they're like, oh, people that actually train fucking work out here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all I would do is I would probably grade, bring actually not myself, bring in somebody legit to grade the hill on the back because we have a little hill run, but also yep. like down in the pastures, put in like a dope hundred meter track and have it all nice. And, uh, and then just invite people to come, man, and be like, you should, you know, it's a dope area. Like, like if you can put that environment together, I think you really extend not only the team, but um, I think you just extend your own career. Yeah, makes sense. I, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen with COVID and all that, but, you know, if you've got a consistent group of guys that you're going to train with um, and you want to keep it, I don't know, small group, uh, that makes perfect sense. Um and I don't know why it's not being done. And I still think it should be pushed from the agents um, because it's in their best interest too. Yeah. The uh, man, like I, I, I sometimes wonder if the agents just want to tell you, like uh, uh, tell you what you want to hear, not necessarily what's in your best interest. You know, like it, I, I can't really think of my agent being like, Oh, you should build a facility and do this. I mean, <laughs> uh, like I think the agents are just like, fuck, man, don't blow all your money on stupid shit, whereas building a facility isn't. But I think for like a guy like Holmes, uh, I, I, I have no idea where he lives. Um, I mean, he could live out in Overland Park or, I mean, who knows? Uh, but, I mean, his ability to probably buy something and build something and get it up pretty fast and stock it and bring people in be probably a pretty amazing situation. I mean, <clears throat> I think, like, what, what did I just see him do? Obviously, he bought a piece of... Uh, uh, Royals, yeah, yeah, the Royals. But he did something else where he bought like I don't know ten thousand people lunch or like did something for like uh, it was pretty interesting. And I'm like, man, I appreciate that that dude is uh, got some activism and like you know the ability to kind of spend some stuff and to just to make himself get out there. So, but I look, I I don't think uh, you know if let's say a dude chunked 150 or 200 grand at something, right? I mean, he's it's going to pay for itself over the course of a career. And that's like a really epic fucking facility, like. Yeah, that's a, like that's killer. You could have tons of friends and throw it all apart. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, have people show up, and especially here in Texas, like you could have people show up at barbecue trailers. Yeah. yeah, and like I mean, there's there's an endless supply of neat things that you can do, and I think the problem though is uh, no like. When you're that age, like you almost That's have to have yeah. somebody tell you, like I'm, you know, you well at 40 plus, like I understand it, but like, could I have told my like 25, 26 year old self? Like, I don't know if I would have listened or understood yeah. it, but, but if somebody had been like, Hey man, this is what you should do. I would have been like, that's a great yeah, idea. That's yeah. So I, I think age, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes people just need the permission from somebody or the idea. Um, and it's because nobody had necessarily done it. Like I hadn't really ever seen, like I, I still have never seen anything like it. So, but doesn't mean it can't be built. Right. D- Derek, when you go and work with teams, are you strictly working with the coaches or you get the opportunity to, to coach up the athletes on those, those NFL teams? It depends. It depends on the team. It depends on the time of year that I go. Cause a lot of the time, if I go there, uh, it might be a time when the, the athletes aren't there so that the coaches have more time to spend with me. Um, but there have been cases where I've gone and there's an athletes there and we, 
we work with them together. So it really depends on the organization and the time of the year. Um, but I, I mean, I, I do always ask them like, do you guys have good relationships with the private sector trainers that work with your guys when they're not at the facility and they're not with you? And, no. and sometimes I, I hear yes and sometimes no. And so there's, um, I think that's the missing link right now is like developing these, you know, relationships with the private sector and understanding, okay, you've got your way of doing things. This is kind of what we're doing. You know, let's kind of meet in the middle a bit so that we have some continuity, I think would be really good, but I don't know if that's happening. John would have a better idea. Yeah, no, I mean, I, um, I can't even like, uh, when I left in the off season, they would send me like they'd overnight me the, the program. Yep. And uh, I would look at it and be like, okay, this looks good. And then I would just go do what I was going to do. And they never really, uh, you know, that, oh, that's not true. So the first off season after I got hurt, I trained that whole off season. And then I came back and after I started 16 games, uh, I left. And that's when I met Raphael. But um, they never really, like, I guess the check was when you come back from minicamp and OTAs. And I came back in good shape and, like, everything was moving well. I went to go lift weights and I was strong. Like, I think those dudes were kind of like, well, everything looks like it's panning out. And then went out and played and was fine. So I think if if uh, if I'd come back out of shape or you know uh, weaker or not the player I was, I think they probably would have been like, whatever you're doing, you need to fucking change it. And we would have had to come to Jesus moment. But I remember thinking like Wolfie and and Tom being like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it, man. You know. So I, I think there's some faith in that way. But it's not like they you know came down and visited me to check out what I was doing or you know, hey, you know, what kind of training are you doing? You know. Yeah. Like the, this, this off season, unfortunately I was supposed to do some work with a NHL team and visit some of the private sector trainers that they were, the players would be working with, but that obviously that never materialized. So I think maybe, you know, maybe people are starting to think about that. And, and obviously now, because maybe there will be less times when facilities will be open, the, the training facility, the team's facility, um, that you have to have some sort of outreach in communication, you know, to, to make sure it's getting done. So I don't know. I don't know how you formalize that. The, uh, man, I'm still just kind of tripping out on that number that there were 47 ACL tears over the course of the whole season in the NFL in 2019. And here we are sitting in 2029 games through and, uh, and we're at 30. 30. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, on pace for 60 and that's no preseason too, right? Yeah. That's no preseason. So where you usually get half of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, that first preseason, I mean, and really that first, it's that first three games. Like I always felt like if you can make it out of the injury, like if you can avoid the injury bug for the first three games, you're usually pretty good. And as I was thinking back, as we were talking, I'm like, man, the amount of (laughs) like I I ruptured my patellar tendon and broke my leg in, in the season opener. So like, you know, I potentially had two career ending injuries in the season openers. And so like, I always felt like if I could get through the season opener in the first few games, like I'll be fine. Uh, but I mean, that's where really the rash of injuries and you see a lot of stuff in those first three games. Well, I'm wondering, like we're at the midpoint, you know, roughly, um, do you think it's going to normalize and die down? Like we've gone through that filtration process and we've had the injuries, the guys that were weak got the injuries. Now 
the remaining seven games, is it going to be smoother sailing, do you think, or more of the same? You know what? Um, we would have to probably pull the numbers and see if, like, the ACL injuries, uh, like, how they kind of, you know, categorize in the different quarters of the season. Like, if, like, 70% in the first quarter, uh, like, the first four games, and then, like, you know, ten, you know and it kind of, you know, starts dwindling. And I, I wonder if history tells us that. I mean, I, yeah. I would say that that feels right, but um, without seeing the data on that one, um, you know, could you say like, I mean, geez, uh, Christian McCaffrey comes back and uh, next thing you know, he's injured again. So, I mean, is it that, you know, one guy gets through one thing and gets to another? I just, it, the one thing which is amazing is we were going and I was watching these clips, especially when you sent over some of the pre, uh, uh, pre-podcast notes, was um, none of these looked like they were injuries. Like look, they look like normal hits. Dudes moving, you know, the like the tight end for the Broncos that tore his ACL. I mean, it didn't like it wasn't something that like you know like if you saw the guy go down that you wouldn't just assume that gets right back up. So that that's where it is. Whereas I always think about some of these big injuries where you see and you're like, oh shit, that guy got hurt. That guy, and you're like, that guy got hurt on that play, and they show the replay, and the, even the announcers are like, I, I don't see it. So that's pretty. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, I think guys get injured and then you need, uh, the evaluation after the game, maybe the, a couple of MRIs, a couple of different opinions. And then sometimes the injury doesn't get announced till like three days later, um, yeah. which is interesting too. So, well, there's, yeah, there's some- the idea that they can, uh, that, that they, the training staff can work their magic and effectively <laughs> like get you. Cause the, the thing is, is they have to turn out like, what is it? Probable, um, I like there's three classifications like you'll probably play you'll maybe play and you're definitely out and the problem is if, if questionable they, yeah they put you questionable if, if you're questionable or out and you play then they kind of like mm, and you can't do that uh, because there's a whole kind of situation with that but um, yeah I mean there's it's it, it's definitely interesting to see that guys are just taking these normal hits and seem to have some more catastrophic stuff so that's that that feels different than I've seen in any other season so Tex, what are some bright spots from week nine? Well, we have players that are peaking. Despite of all this that we're discussing of on the injury and the negative side, there are some dudes that are having career years, including Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. So this, this is the second week in a row. This guy's come up because he is essentially lightning in a bottle and reviving the Vikings season, almost basically a MVP candidate because they were one in five and now they're streaking or he, at least what, uh, he's what, streaking. What year is this for him? Second year? Oh man. This uh, is fourth year is because fourth he year? missed a year, missed a year with the ACL. That's right. So a new knee and he's coming out there and, and having a career year. Good for he's him. He's doing the Adrian Peterson. And a Viking no less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I was wondering, and I don't know if you could pull this up, what was his 40 time at the combine? Because, um, mm-hmm. there was a one clip I sent you guys where he just kind of broke through and then he accelerated and he kept accelerating and nobody was catching him. And, and I'm just wondering, wow, that it looks like he has, four, some five. Good sp- he ran a four, four five, five? Flor- uh, former Florida state running back. Dalvin cook runs a, a four, five 40. Huh? Okay. It's pretty That's, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, uh, it, that's not like, uh, I mean, there's probably defensive ends out there who are faster than that. So that's, uh, I mean, that's surprising. But, I mean, the dude is so patient. Like, that was the one thing when I was watching the clips. He's just so patient when he gets to the line. Like, he's not necessarily forcing. He was waiting for things to happen and, and uh, that patience and then be able to put his foot in the ground and change speeds in different directions is pretty good. 
I mean, it was, I, it's funny. I, I thought he was younger. I thought he was maybe like a first or second year guy, but now you say he's four. That makes sense. What, uh, how much does he weigh? Uh, let's see. Uh, 210 at the combine. This combine stat, 210. 210. Uh, he looks bigger. Yeah. He just looks... Maybe he, maybe he is. Bigger. I mean, that's just the program. I mean, Tex, what did you weigh in your high school program? 240. Oh, high school football? <laughs> well, 5'10". 240. 195, <laughs> which says everything. <laughs> uh, so I, I'll tell you, though, the one thing in the... It says 5'10", 209 for his, his oh. current... So the, uh, the, the one I, I, I was really kind of excited about the other night on Sunday night was uh, I really want to see Tom Brady. And, and uh, um, another bright spot is Alvin Kamara. The, the Saints running back is just. Yeah, he's killing it, too. Killing it. Dude, I, I was so excited for that game. Like Tom Brady versus. Uh, time. Um, no, uh, Drew Brees. I mean, like uh, also time. Oh, you so yeah, uh, Father Time just out there beating each other. Uh, so <laughs> I, I thought that was going to be a great game, and it was awful. Like uh, it was not good. Like I think I don't even think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a first down until like halftime. So I did have a question in that respect, John. Like there are these trap games or the look ahead game. This was the exact opposite. You have the division on the line, the opportunity to get one leg up above your your true rival within, and then you just don't show up. So is it one player decides, oh, I have a bad play, and then the rest of the team follows that negative attitude, or is it the coach? Like how, I understand how you can overlook a team because you got a big game coming up, but how do you just whiff on this great opportunity for your season? Uh, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, to have a guy like Tom Brady, who they've come in and put so much hype in this and uh, Drew Brees coming out. And like I, I what I was expecting was like a 45, 43 kind of shootout. And all of a sudden, like Brady goes three and out. And then the uh, the Saints basically do like a nine play drive, go down and score like a beautiful drive. And I remember thinking like, oh, shit, <laughs> like Brady in the Tampa Bay is in trouble because if you if you get the ball first and you don't go put a good drive together. And then the, the other team comes out and puts a really good drive together. That's like a death nail. Like that's a bad deal. And then it's like, then, you know, now the defense is tired. And then if you go three and out again, you're going to put them back on the field. And it just looked like the defense spent a ton of time out there. were super tired and they just couldn't get anything going. Um, and the introduction of Antonio Brown, does that have any impact like negatively or? I, I don't know how it could help. Um, I mean, like, okay, so you, you have a guy like Antonio Brown who's super talented. Nobody's, n- nobody's disputing his talent. Has had this kind of tumultuous past in this relationship with Brady, and they bring him in uh, during probably what could be the biggest game of their season, and they go thirty-eight and three, and they lose. Like, I wouldn't blame it on Antonio Brown, but as the head coach, I'd probably be like, "Get your shit and get out of here." I don't know what this is, but this is bad karma <laughs> or, or bad luck. But, um, uh, you know, they're like, and, and I, I heard a bunch of interviews with him, which I thought were pretty good where he's like, I learned my lesson, you know, like he was on the street and like I've reformed, you know, saying all the right things. Uh, but then you think, you know, that guy's been a number one receiver. He's been a star for a lot of years and a really, you know, high talented dude. And now all of a sudden he's the third or fourth guy. Like how long does that last? You know, where he feels like, ah, uh, you know, they're, or maybe he's like, fuck man, I'm stoked to be in the league and playing with Tom Brady. So I, I like, I just looked at it and thought, man, these guys just look really flat. 
And I, and that's not what I expected for them. I, I expected those guys were going to be at home. The weather was good. It was a little rainy, typical Tampa weather. And, you know, all of a sudden they got the New Orleans Saints coming in. And this is their chance to prove that they are. Yeah. You Dome know, team in Tampa humidity. Yeah. And it was raining. Like, I, I was like, man, this is like the like this is the making of like, you know, the NFL films. Like it was a stormy night in Tampa Bay. Like, that's what I was waiting in. Like, all of a sudden, it just was awful. I mean, it'd be easy to kind of throw it on Antonio Brown and be like, get rid of that dude. But who knows? Maybe they're able to rally back. Long who time. do you got next week? I have that pulled up. One second, please. Because that'll, that'll be an important game, I would think, to right, shake that off. Yeah. They are at Carolina, who's awful. No, they're playing very well. They <laughs> oh, is Carolina Kansas good? City. Oh, yes. Oh. Uh, Teddy Two Gloves, Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, that's a right. great redemption story, which... That's right, that's right. Man, once you give an athlete an opportunity, and it, with a great attitude. Um, yeah, and that's a college coach having great success in his first year in the NFL, even with all the, the, the COVID and the transition, a dude despiting, uh, succeeding despite of all these things that we've spoken of. And that's another division game. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. And hopefully he's got McCaffrey back, and that will be your NFL Films game, John. Oh, yeah. No, that's going to be a good one. Um, I, I, I am a Tom Brady fan, um, but I, I was kind of imagining if, like, him and Belichick are, like, texting each other, like, I'm really sorry. I we shouldn't you. have break. I miss you. Or, you know, <laughs> and, like, like, just seeing Cam Newton out there, I'm like, God damn. Like, they're running the same offense, putting him in the same positions, like, it's just it's interesting to see when a guy has that much experience in the system and the receivers and the way Tom approached it. So it's really, yeah, they're probably like, I miss you. We Another thing we need to touch on is Alex Smith's return to the starting lineup. So we've seen some ugly ankle issues, and this is an opportunity to give us hope for dudes returning like uh, Prescott. So is uh, like what is going through this athlete's mind? Is he you think he's emotionally over said injury that he can focus on full contact, full speed, starting? As as long as he doesn't watch his own ESPN documentary again, I think he'll be fine. Because after watching that, I was devastated. Uh, it's it it's one of those things where uh, I purposely never want to watch that. It's like the Joe Namath deal. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I mean, but uh, how could he not step back and, and like there has to be something in the back of his head unless he just went and got hypnotized? Like, I always remember thinking, like, can we get a dude that hypnotized to hypnotize this dude that he didn't for play in the first half? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes people, man, they just start hearing things and, uh, you know, become their own worst enemy. And, uh, you know, they they get this like interior coach that's coaching them in real time. And like that just becomes the death. You just got to almost like do the work turn your brain off and just go play and it becomes automatic i played with a guy named doug brzezinski and doug was like sec- like he was like arguing with himself during the plays and like i should you know and it, i remember being like dude you're when you're stressing me out but like why are you putting in so much pressure you know what to do just go out and do it and he just could never get in front of that but um alex smith man like uh it was a pretty sweet deal when he came back a couple weeks ago and they put him in and his wife and kids were in the stands and like the look on his wife's face, like she was in tears, like having lived this. And I remember like, dude, like I, I want that guy to do well. You know, it's nice to have, have his kids get out there and see him play. Yeah, I was a big <laughs> Alex Smith fan. Like I had, you know, I knew some people who worked at the 49ers, Mark Uyama, and said he was a good guy. And 
Um, and then I went to my first Chiefs game back in 2015 and uh, we're in the parking lot, staff and player parking lot. Alex Smith rolls up in an old Jeep Wrangler just wearing street clothes. <laughs> well, you could have been some dude off the street, right? Just took the wrong turn at the uh, at the, uh, the the parking lot, the, what do you call it? The tailgate, right? And so he just pulls up and, oh, look, that's Alex Smith. Oh, cool, right? And he just walks in and just unassuming and you're like, okay. This guy's just here for to play the game so yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I, I always felt bad um not felt bad but i always thought that he got kind of a raw deal in san francisco you mm-hmm. know and harbaugh seeing uh you know colin kaepernick coming in as the second coming and you know that guy was their franchise guy and he just you know basically sat him for what who you know for what he thought would be a better opportunity and i think alex is a pretty good player man he um yeah. he's definitely had a, a, a long good career and uh to come back from that injury with that nobody thought he'd come back from i think that's it's very admirable. What, and to put that into perspective, he was written off, and he found an, uh, another opportunity. So maybe he all those mental steps before to find a new team, learn a new system, and then another new kid comes in in Mahomes, and he still seeks out and gets another opportunity to start. And then this injury happens, unfortunately. But maybe he's and then gets another chance. Had all the mental reps to I be mean, in this fuck, pos- dude. to succeed. I mean, good for him. And and I I, I was particularly watching it like I'm not a throwing expert you guys could probably say you know better about his throwing and I know he had three interceptions but you know there were some extenuating circumstances but watching him move around the pocket and stuff I was actually impressed I thought it was going to be more obvious that that leg was not you know having the output that he needed so I don't know what you guys saw but I thought okay I don't feel as bad for him back there and as, as scared for him I didn't want to get the opportunity to see his reps, but I certainly will tune in this weekend. There's a few well, good games. He, he didn't necessarily have like a bounce in his step. Like he, it wasn't like he <laughs> dropped back, put his foot in the ground and kind of like. Well, he was playing the Giants, John. He didn't really do <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you know, but you also got to figure he uh, he's not a young player. Um, you know, he does have a lot of mileage and whatnot. But, you know, he obviously has the confidence to stand in the pocket and step up. I mean, that's like the big thing I think with quarterbacks when they get hit, if all of a sudden like they're in a position and they see it and they don't step up, they like step back and they throw off their back leg. Like you always have to step up. And especially if you're stepping forward with momentum going forward opposed from going back. And I think that's like a dead giveaway, especially as an offensive lineman. If your quarterback is consistently trying to like move away and get back, it just deepens the pocket and makes it fucking harder. Like step up. Always, you know, like my job at the Eagles was I always had to stone my dude so Donovan could step up to the left. And like I knew I had to do it. And so because the idea was that the tackles were going to set deep, we set short and we created the pocket that way. And you have to give the guy room. And I think seeing him step up was pretty good. Like he wasn't fading back, which is kind of where I was like, man, I wonder if this dude's just going to keep fucking floating backwards. As quarterbacks develop and then get more reps within the, the league at the speed, do you see that bounce in the step decrease? Or is it this is the way the guy plays and it's very consistent? Some guys just move around or hop around in there or is it more hop for a younger player i don't like hopping like uh, i always think hoppy like a um like a bunny rabbit but like a guy that like you know like pretty good step puts his feet in the ground and then steps forward and so like you know not just you know like you see roethlisberger kind of like stay in shotgun and they just hike him the ball and his feet don't move and he just stands there like <laughs> Wait, the fucking he's statue the of the byron leftwich he <laughs> breaks his knee and, and, and yeah and and just guns the ball but he you know big ben's what six 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 seven like he's got a cannon for an arm and you know the reason he can play is he was never a mobile dude so you take mobility away and he's like well that was never my strong suit anyway 
So, I mean, he's not like a... You mean I don't have to run around? <laughs> he's like, I'm just going to stand back here and fucking... And he's taller than his offensive lineman, so he's got plenty of room to gun it. Uh, you know, I mean, but nobody would look back and be like, Ben Rothensberger was really fleet of foot. Like, when was the last time you saw him scramble and get out of something? I don't think anybody knows. Maybe, yeah. maybe the Super Bowl in, like, early days. But, I mean, he's definitely winning games, man, and Pittsburgh is on fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pittsburgh versus Joe Burrow... This weekend, Poor so that'll kid. be. Ah, it's I like Joe Burrow. I like oh, him. Great. I, I just felt bad that he had to go to Cincinnati. Derek, did you get an opportunity to watch Tua? Yeah, I. Uh, I mean, I thought I thought he was okay. Like there wasn't anything where I'm like, "Wow, right? I, I, this guy's going to be something special." I haven't seen that yet, um, but obviously, you know, they were mentioning that his arm strength didn't appear to be that good or that strong. Um, so, you know, he's doing the shorter throws and they were designing stuff around his ability or inability, I guess. And um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. And if he does, you know, um, because they were talking about the whole idea that, okay, we're going to pull, was it Fitzpatrick and, and uh-huh. put him in because we got to do it now. Cause if we have a good season, then we'll never pull Fitzpatrick. And, you know, and you're like, well, I don't know. You, you just want to win. Right. So I assume this is obviously part of that development plan, but um, we'll see. Uh, man, uh, I, I thought he moved pretty well. I saw the, some of the scramble stuff. Like my thought in the back of the head is like, uh, you know, can his hip take the beating? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. That, that, that was going to be my question. Do you, yeah. when you see a scrambler like him and in the same game, you got to see Kyler Murray. Do you see a difference between their speed and change direction knowing this one athlete had this major injury? Yeah. I, I, I mean, Murray, like somebody said, like, oh, who do you think is faster, Murray or um, Lamar Jackson? And they said, well, they're different. Murray's more quick. And he seems, he seems very nimble, um, probably more so than Tua, in my opinion. It's not that Tua is not great and mobile and athletic, but there's something about Murray where he just has these gear changes that look really different to me um, that separate him. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see which of these young quarterbacks does kind of rise up and, you know, gets to that next level and takes his team. But right now I'm still like just watching. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think the uh, uh, like? I mean, you know, you made an interesting point about like the front office, like you know, seeing success with Fitzpatrick and pulling him out and putting Tua in because I mean, he was their first round draft pick, and they're seeing all these other young guys getting their opportunity. You think it was kind of like that, like that FOMO deal where they're like the fear of missing out that like if we don't give this young guy a chance, which is crazy because uh, I mean, they didn't draft him to come in and start. They drafted him as kind of like a, a, a bit of a gamble. They knew the injury. They knew what he, he had. And I kind of thought that he was kind of a, maybe a two or three year project. Like he's going to come back that first year, give him a year, like two years to kind of, you know, crystallize and get ready for it. So I don't know if I would have made that move as a yeah, Mahomes, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's the same Mahomes deal, right? Like he had a year, he got mentored. There wasn't that pressure, and I mean that worked out okay. You know, uh, he wasn't rookie of the year, but whatever, he's he's kind of made up for it. So um, maybe difference in organizations, like uh, you know, I I can't necessarily think of a smart, intelligent choice that the Miami Dolphins have made in a long time, well, where people are like Flores. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, um, but uh, but for the most part, like when you think of like strategic, intelligent decisions in the NFL, is that Miami Dolphins somewhere at the top? 
on that? Is one? that an oxymoron? The what I heard, and this is just me observing as a fan over here, but they have the Texans pick, which is going to be basically top five essentially. So they are giving this kid a shot to one test him to see if he was worth that pick, and two. Are they going to shop them because they could get some stellar stud of this new class coming out that they could draft uh, or pro- propel themselves with their two first round picks up to number one and take the golden boy? So it's a marketing play. Right now they're marketing. Oh, you, you think by, by putting them out there, they're uh, marketing the town. No man, uh, I'll, I'll just give you like that's not uh, that's not insane. But give me one time when that has happened. And, and I'll, I'll just give you like like find me one time in the history of the NFL where somebody takes because what was uh, Tua picked five, yeah. So top ten, top five NFL draft pick is traded in his rookie season after becoming their starter. Uh, Rosen, Arizona Cardinals. They did that in Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, to the Dolphins. <laughs> so okay, so there is the precedent. So that is a precedent. Okay. So maybe they felt like uh, this kid isn't the future for us, but if we can get him out there and showcase him, then we can maybe shop him, get somebody interested. way too smart. Or like way too thoughtful. That's way too Belichick. Yeah. That's like Flores. (laughs) Flores was the defensive coordinator Uh, from that LA Rams Super Bowl. Yeah. Maybe maybe he's sharp, man. He's bringing that, Ah. that type of thought and paradigm shift into like shuffling the cards and kind of showing what you got. Maybe, right. maybe not. It's, uh, I mean, it's uh, just a couple of it's dudes a, speculating. It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how this one plays out. I would be surprised with that. But, um, I, I mean, Fitzpatrick wasn't playing bad. Oh, huh. You know, I thought he, you know, he kind of. I it, enjoy his antics. Oh, yeah, dude. He, uh, did you see him? I think he shaved his beard. Oh. He, he cut it in Rock Boy shorts in honor of a traded teammate. <laughs> he's, uh, he's definitely a funny dude. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you, though, I mean, he kind of made it feel like it was his team and I think they put him in that role and then to like bench him and for a young guy is maybe he's uh in on it. maybe he's in on the marketing play. I don't know. <laughs> Bunch of beard where these boys showing what's going on. We're showcasing, showing we're gonna be trading you're back in. Don't worry about man Yeah, in. it would be so hard. Yeah, you gotta mentor this new guy we're going to bring in. Yeah, well, yeah, you are the uh the the quarterback coach in the room who also suits up. <laughs> I, I like I mean to his injury is so uh so uh when I was out at Cal for their alumni week and this is almost a year almost a year ago um as I was kind of meeting some of the alumni there was a guy who was older than me who was an orthopedic surgeon and played at Cal. He was um in the Bay, I think he was a Bay Area guy, or I want to say like a South San Francisco guy. And he was or is uh, the top like hip orthopedic trauma surgeon, right? And so we were just rapping about it, and that uh, to his injury had happened. And of course, I'm like, hey, what do you think about that? And he's like, let me get, you know, talk about necrosis and uh, Bo Jackson. And he's like, you know, I looked, he goes, they actually forwarded me the x rays. And so I got uh, some inside scoop on that. And he's like, you know, it's very similar to what Bo Jackson had. And like, you know, he broke the acetabulum and like kind of went through. And the only way you can fix that is you have to go through the glute and sort of kind of detailing what had happened to fix it. And his thing was like, uh, if necrosis sets in, he, you know, he's going to need a new hip. Uh, but if he can kind of make it back and he's like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's more unlikely than likely. And so that was kind of in the back of my mind that, you know, this is just a, 
you know, a guy I met at the Cal game who, you know, ex player who happened to have this unique knowledge. So if in a situation like that, you got 32 other teams that have looked at that injury report. Uh, you know, most teams would have not touched that guy until the later round. So I'm, I was always amazed that uh, Miami jumped in and drafted that dude. Yeah. Well, those, I mean, all of those injury things are really dicey. Like I think we we're talking about Prescott coming back and what kind of contract do you negotiate with him until you're really sure that that injury is, doesn't have long-term implications. I wonder if he comes back. I mean, he must've had a hell of an insurance policy. Uh, cause normally when you go into, uh, like a cat, like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, um, franchise tag, they, uh, you know, pay you for that one year. And I, I forgot it was what, like 25 or 30 mil or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually those guys will sign a hell of an insurance contract. Like I'll give 10% of this thing to, you know, Lloyd's of London to cover me for what I think I'm worth, which, you know, he probably put his value at 250 million, which is what he wanted. So the injury, if he never comes back, he probably makes good on that insurance policy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there could, unless he didn't do that, but most of the guys I know that did salary or uh, franchise tags have some big insurance policy associated with it. So maybe he's like, fuck it, if I don't come back, I don't come back. And is that like the agent helps with that, right? Yeah. 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 Usually like, uh, yeah, they contact Lloyds of London and then they come in and do an analysis and that. I remember uh, uh, I got approached by like doing something like that and I was like, I'm good. Well, I remember you know. one big one was Willis McGahee after college oh. in that championship game that talk about grueling hits where you don't ever want to watch again. Mm-hmm. But then he put it maybe, I mean, it was big money for me back then, freaking in like high school, but like a million dollar. And I was like, wow. And then he put it all on the line to come back. But then he had a maybe 10 year career. He very did, man. Well. He was a hell of a running back. He uh-huh. was fast. Um, didn't he play for Buffalo? Uh, Buffalo and Baltimore. Yeah, he would do that. Dude was quick off the corner, especially when they, they ran him those little outside flip plays. I remember always seeing like him on film and being like, God damn, that dude closes the corner fast. Oh, yeah. So cool with the uh, face mask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Him and Sean Taylor, Miami. I, like for, you know, there, there was always two things I liked. I, I always liked the patient running back and I liked the dude who could like catch the ball on the outside. And then as he was running, dudes would be running vert, like straight to the sideline and they could beat him. Yeah. Like to me, that was the best where I was like, space, like how? How, wait a minute, that dude's running straight and you're running at an angle and you beat him there. You're like, holy shit, that dude's fast. Like Priest Holmes used to do that. They'd flip him the ball and he would cover distance so fast. Like the only guy I saw cover distance that fast was Junior Seau. Well, DK Metcalf now. Yeah. Talking about covering distance. Like, uh, like that's exciting, especially as a player to see somebody do shit like that. And you're like, holy shit, that was great. Let's do it again. You know, and people are in the huddle. And you're like, dude, we run the same play. I want to see that again. <laughs> you know, and then the coach comes over. What's working out there? You're like, fuck, are you watching? <laughs> that was my favorite. What's working out there? <laughs> I don't know. You guys are fucking watching this. I'm in there. Like, how am I supposed to, you know? But uh, no, it's, uh, it's a fun game. I mean, uh, yeah, like you never really know. And I, and I think that's the kind of the mystique of this is like you never really know. Is it, you know, a deal like Tua where they're doing something nefarious where they're trying to put him out there to shop him? Or did they see something in practice where they were like, man, like it gives our team a better chance by having him in the game opposed from not having him in the game? The timing was bye week. So you get give this kid two weeks of starter reps to prepare for said game that they ended up winning. And they, he's 2-0. and So I guess it was a smart decision. But cool. Just some games to look forward to this weekend. Like we said, Tampa and Carolina. And then we have Buffalo, Arizona. 
And I, I'll definitely certainly tune into Pittsburgh and Cincinnati just to see because Pittsburgh's undefeated with a hobbled pocket quarterback and you got this young <laughs> gun that's going down trying to take down the, the undefeated team. Well, it looks like uh, the Seahawks are going to play the Rams, which I think would be pretty oh, yeah. good. And division. I mean, that's like, I mean, anytime you get to see Russell Wilson go out there, I mean, he's pretty damn good. And the Rams are always pretty exciting. So I think that's a pretty good one. And can the Bears recover? No. <laughs> no? You... <laughs> I know this too. Uh, it says, I watched two weeks and, and like, I just know. Uh, the hilarious part is the, 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 uh, the line I heard is, can the Bears keep reeling? <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, uh, and um, I, I like, you know, you obviously hear that, but like the analogy is like, you know, um, uh, and you, dude, you guys have fished, but like when you like yank the line, it's like, oh. zzz, yeah, zzz. You <laughs> yeah, you pull the drag, like that's the reeling. Cause I always thought like reeling, like they're pulling back. It's like, no, you're giving line. That's yeah. reeling. Oh shit. Mm. Oh man! Their fans are reeling. Um, your sports radio is reeling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm listening to... Derek, for for our listeners, man, how what is the lens that you watch these games through? In terms of speed, punt returns, like what points are you looking for that just perks you up catching all these games? Um. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at. Um, you know, how they're using some of these people. Right. And, and, you know, obviously I'm watching Kansas city and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at how they're using people, not necessarily just to catch the ball or, or carry the ball, but are they using them to create a distraction or, or pull people away from to one side of the field? And because I, I think that's the most interesting thing is, you know, you know, when somebody's fast and so then the, the defense will adjust and you see that all the time that Kansas City's now taking advantage of this, and um, you know with Tyreek Hill, and then it looks like Kelsey is getting a lot more opportunities these last couple of games because of that. Um, I don't quite think McCole Hardman's there yet, um, and I know they've been holding Sammy Watkins out because of the hamstring, and they figured, okay, we're playing the Jets, okay, and then you know they held him out one more week, I think, because they have to buy this weekend. So I think he's going to come back in and I think he's, he's got some qualities that are interesting in that mix as well. So not having him there, I think has created, you know, I mean, they're still winning, but I I thought that he creates a lot of disruption because of what he, what his experience is plus his speed, um, even though he's been in the league a bit longer. So those are, those are the things that I think are interesting. Plus, you know, even this idea that if you have a fast quarterback, how does that, how does the defense adjust to that? Or how do they change the way they approach it, knowing that this guy could run? And, um, and then how does, you know, cause uh, like you said with Tua, okay, he can run, he's, he's mobile, he's fast, but is that in his best interest as John was hinting towards, you know, um, you know, cause I, I keep going back to the quarterbacks that were slower are going to have these longer storied careers um, than, you know, necessarily Michael Vick or, yeah, yeah, Randall Cunningham or, you know, whoever uh, it is. But, I mean, we talked about this last week where, uh, or last time we wrapped uh, about Mahomes, like, on paper not being that fast. Yeah. But yet when you see him move in the pocket and he's able to, like, move, like, in space, like, I, uh, he is extremely deceptively fast and his ability to... Or he's elusive, uh, you know, so... You know, like remember that that play against the the Titans 
where he kind of looked like he was going to go out of bounds and then he took it all the way for a touchdown. Yeah. And then that, I, that wasn't, it was, that was probably the slowest play I saw last year, <laughs> yeah. but, but there's something about like, well, okay, he's going to throw it. And then he like shifts this way and that way. And I think he just creates this uncertainty because of his other skill set. Um, that makes it more difficult to track him. I don't know. There, there, there's, there's an intangible there, and you know the baseball piece and the confidence I, uh, that 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 I think we have to factor in. I don't know if it's that he's fast, but he understands what his speed is and how to use it. It's which is you know you can't teach, which is interesting. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's just uh, experience and opportunity, and then also having a you know a coach that puts you in the right system. I mean, how many opportunities sure. do you know good players go and they actually kind of wither and die because they don't build the system around them? And I think what Andy's really done well is um, you know he's had some very different quarterbacks, but he had a you know I mean worked with a guy like Donovan, you know uh, Brett Favre, uh, you know Michael Vick. I mean, look at the amount of quarterbacks he's had. Alex Smith. I mean, Andy has always had a quarterback that was pretty elusive, moved well, you know, and like if you think that West Coast offense was designed by for Joe Montana and also Steve Young. So there's all this stuff called sprint right option and they run, you know, two and three jet and they slide and, uh, you know, everything is about you know, movement and kind of moving positions and then, you know, a little bit of decoy. And like, it's pretty funny, uh, you know, I'll watch the play and I'll be like, oh, sprint right option. And you watch everybody like, uh, block down, he does the fake and he comes out and he throws that really, you know, nice little pass in the red zone. So like looking at the offense and how Andy's running it and especially a lot of the misdirection and just some of the the things that they're doing. I mean, um, as a defensive coordinator, it looks like they're doing a lot, but they're not. They're just doing a few of the basics with a ton of looks, which uh, I think is really cool because then as, um, you know, everybody knows what they're doing. They're well coached and they're doing and what they're doing is they're doing a lot of like uh, um, like misdirection, a lot of deception, which is, you know, like you end up. As an offensive lineman, they'll be like, okay, you know, uh, strong right, you know, and they go through like 12 or 13 different words, and then they're like, two jet, and all I got to listen to is two jet. I know that we're sliding from left to right, or sorry, yeah, left to right. And, uh, you know, and then you know that the quarterback's going to have a five or seven, uh, you know, like a five-step drop or, a, you know, whatever it is, and then, you you know, you listen if it's more, but um, it's pretty good to see them design I mean and why wouldn't they design him I mean he's a hell of a player I mean shit he's paid mm. half a billion dollars why you know the coach isn't gonna be like oh I'm gonna do it my way no Andy's like fuck this kid's a winner let's let's find somebody that works with this kid and I think that's what all NFL teams should strive like who's the talent like who's the best player I can and am I malleable enough to be able to design a uh you know a a, a scheme around this like uh when we um when we go play San Diego and have to play against Junior Seau, they specifically designed the defense where Junior had zero responsibilities. So like everybody else, like, hey, this guy's force, this guy's this. I mean, everybody has, like your job is to get the ball, but you have a responsibility in the scheme. Junior had no responsibility. He could stand anywhere he wanted. He could do anything. He could play back. He could play on the line. He could just walk around and just make plays. And they designed the, the defense because that dude would just make fucking plays. And he was so fast, like even if he was out of position, his speed could make up for it. And I, I've told the story that he was, he literally walked out on the, the, the uh, we put a tight end in motion, was outside. He walked out and we ran the ball this way. And as I pulled and I was playing left guard and I pulled on the power and it was kind of like an outside power deal. As I was pulling around, he ran across my face and tackled the ball carrier. And like, I was like, this dude was you know, 10 yards that way. And I took off running and the dude still beat me there. So I just remember thinking like, fuck that guy's fast, you know? <laughs> and, and like, there, like there were, you know, so many opportunities where you see 
teams be smart enough to like either draft a player that fits the role they need or adjust based off of playmakers. And I think the really good ones are the ones that can adjust. Did, did Andy Reid ever do what he's, you know, they say like, okay, we practice this play, but never used it and saved it for like 12 yes. games or, and then he just pulls it out yeah. like that twirly play in the, yeah. the, the Super Bowl. They, yeah, he, no, they, we, we, we always had like stuff we do on Fridays, like fun Fridays. And like, there was always some like fun trick play that we would always work on. And I remember, uh, like we did, man, like we, we worked on like a trick play where like we would like fake hike the ball. I mean, there, there was just a bunch of stuff and it was just stuff like fun things to put in. And then all of a sudden, like it would never happen. And then all of a sudden they'd come in and they call that play and you'd be like, holy shit, we're really going to run that play. <laughs> like, and, 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 and I think there's like excitement with that because it's like, uh, you feel like the coach is doing everything he can to win this game. Kind of like we, we practice the shit out of onside kicks. Like that was a big deal for us. Like we had uh, David Akers who had this like nasty snap where he could like hit the ball and the dude worked on it all the time. And I remember like we worked on this shit for two years and then we went down to uh, the Dallas Cowboys for the season opener. And all of a sudden the very first play, he's like onside kick season opener. We're kicking off the Dallas Cowboys and we onside kick and we get it and we crush it. Like it, it was like well, one of those. Set the tone. Oh yeah, it totally set the tone. And it was like a major F you to the Cowboys. But like that type of stuff, man, like um I, like I appreciate Andy's uh um I just appreciated his you know uh courage and moxie and the fact that he's like, fuck it, let's give it a shot. And you know, you guys are hearing me constantly, like like let playmakers play. That was something we used to hear all the time. Like, be a playmaker, we let playmakers play, like go out there and do what playmakers do, you know? All right, let's get a cheeseburger. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. That's that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> cool. Uh Phil, Eagles Giants, who's gonna win that one this weekend? <sighs> <laughs> I'm I'm rooting for the Eagles. I'm uh consummate rooting for the Eagles. At New York, fanless. That sucks. Mm. Well, cool. Derek, thank awesome. you very much for the, the insight and dive in here, man. I know we got a lot of NFL fans that follow, so they'll be able to, to, to tune in and use this to improve their perception and ability to view inside the game. That was fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah thanks for the chat, amigo. Yeah. And I never knew my bones could feel so much pain for a good old American silver dollar. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. If you're not following Derek Hansen yet, then head to his website, SprintCoach.com, for access to his amazing content, his social platforms, and his podcast. And if you're looking for coaching, training plans, or daily workouts, then you need to head to powerathletehq.com slash training now. Or you can check out the show notes to get access to world-class coaching from anywhere that your phone gets service. That's right. Daily workouts written, demoed, and monitored by pro coaches that you can crush from the comfort of your home or on your own schedule. And all of this is for just less than a dollar a day. Until next time. Bye. Bye.